Chapter Twenty Nine of Izzy Pope and Joy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Noel Badrian. Is he Popenjoy by Anthony Trollope? Mr. Houghton wants a glass of sherry. Lord George, when he got out of the lawyer's office with his father-in-law, expressed himself as being very angry at what had been done. While discussing the matter within, in the presence of Mr. Battle, he had been unable to withstand the united energies of the dean and the lawyer. But, nevertheless, even while he had yielded, he had felt that he was being driven. "'I don't think he was at all justified in making any inquiry,' he said, as soon as he found himself in the square. "'My dear George,' replied the dean, "'the quicker this can be done, the better. "'An agent should only act in accordance with his instructions. "'Without disputing that, my dear fellow, I cannot but say that I am glad to have learnt so much. And I am very sorry. We both mean the same thing, George. I don't think we do, said Lord George, who was determined to be angry. You are sorry that it should be so, and so am I. The triumph which had sat in the Dean's eye when he heard the news in the lawyer's chambers almost belied this latter assertion. But I certainly am glad to be on the track as soon as possible, if there is a track which it is our duty to follow. I didn't like that man at all, said Lord George. I neither like him nor dislike him, but I believe him to be honest, and I know him to be clever. He will find out the truth for us. And when it turns out that Brotherton was legally married to the woman, what will the world think of me then? The world will think that you have done your duty. There can be no question about it, George. Whether it be agreeable or disagreeable, it must be done. Could you have brought yourself to have thrown the burden of doing this upon your own child, perhaps some five and twenty years hence, when it may be done so much easier now by yourself? I have no child, said Lord George. But you will have. The dean, as he said this, could not keep himself from looking too closely into his son-in-law's face. He was most anxious for the birth of that grandson, who was to be made a marquis by his own energies. God knows. Who can say? At any rate, there is that child at Manor Cross. If he be not the legitimate heir, is it not better for him that the matter should be settled now than when he may have lived twenty years in expectation of the title and property? The dean said much more than this, urging the propriety of what had been done, but he did not succeed in quieting Lord George's mind. The same day the dean told the whole story to his daughter, perhaps in his eagerness adding something to what he had heard from the lawyer. Divorces in Roman Catholic countries, he said, are quite impossible. I believe they are never granted, except for state purposes. There may be some new civil law, but I don't think it. And then, if the man was an acknowledged lunatic, it must have been impossible. But how could the Marquis be so foolish, Papa? Ah, that is what we do not understand. But it will come out. 
you may be sure it will all come out. Why did he come home to England and bring them with him? And why, just at this time, why did he not communicate his first marriage? And if not that, why the second? He probably did not intend at first to put his child forward as Lord Popenjoy, but has become subsequently bold. The woman, perhaps, has gradually learned the facts and insisted on making the claim for her child. She may gradually have become stronger than he. He may have thought that by coming here and declaring the boy to be his heir, he would put down suspicion by the very boldness of his assertion. Who can say? But these are the facts, and they are sufficient to justify us in demanding that everything shall be brought to light. Then, for the first time, he asked her what immediate hope there was that Lord George might have an heir. She tried to laugh, then blushed, then wept a tear or two, and muttered something which he failed to hear. There is time enough for all that, Mary, he said, with his pleasantest smile, and then left her. Lord George did not return home till late in the afternoon. He went first to Mrs. Houghton's house, and told her nearly everything. But he told it in such a way as to make her understand that his strongest feeling at the present moment was one of anger against the dean. Of course, George, she said, for she always called him George now, the dean will try to have it all his own way. I am almost sorry that I ever mentioned my brother's name to him. She, I suppose, is ambitious, said Mrs. Houghton. She was intended to signify Mary. No, to do Mary justice, it is not her fault. I don't think she cares for it. I dare say she would like to be a marchioness as well as anyone else. I know I should. You might have been, he said, looking tenderly into her face. I wonder how I should have borne all this. You say that she is indifferent. I should have been so anxious on your behalf to see you installed in your rights. I have no rights. There is my brother. Yes, but as the heir, she has none of the feeling about you that I have, George. Then she put out her hand to him, which he took and held. I begin to think that I was wrong. I begin to know that I was wrong. We could have lived at any rate. It is too late, he said, still holding her hand. Yes, it is too late. I wonder whether you will ever understand the sort of struggle which I had to go through, and the feeling of duty which overcame me at last. Where should we have lived? At Cross Hall, I suppose. And if there had been children, how should we have brought them up? She did not blush as she asked the question, but he did. And yet I wish that I had been braver. I think I should have suited you better than she. She is as good as gold, he said, moved by a certain loyalty, which, though it was not sufficient absolutely to protect her from wrong, was too strong to endure to hear her reproached. Do not tell me of her goodness, said Mrs. Houghton, jumping up from her seat. I do not want to hear of her goodness. Tell me of my goodness. Does she love you as I do? Does she make you the hero of her thoughts? 
she has no idea of any hero she would think more of jack the baron whirling around the room with her than of your position in the world or of his or even of her own he winced visibly when he heard jack de baron's name you need not be afraid she continued for though she is as you say as good as gold she knows nothing about love she took you when you came because it suited the ambitions of the dean as she would have taken anything else that he provided for her i believe she loves me he said having in his heart of hearts at the moment much more solicitude in regard to his absent wife than to the woman who was close to his feet and was flattering him to the top of his bent and her love such as it is is sufficient for you she is my wife yes because i allowed it because i thought it wrong to subject your future life to the poverty which i should have brought with me do you think there was no sacrifice then but adelaide it is so yes it is so but what does it all mean the time is gone by when men or women either were too qualmish and too queasy to admit the truth even to themselves of course you are married and so am i but marriage does not alter the heart i did not cease to love you because i would not marry you you could not cease to love me merely because i refused you when i acknowledged to myself that mr houghton's income was necessary to me i did not become enamoured of him nor i suppose did you when you found the same as to miss lovelace's money upon this he also jumped up from his seat and stood before her i will not have even you say that i married my wife for her money how was it then george i am not blaming you for doing what i did as well as you i should blame myself i should feel myself to be degraded why so it seems to me that i am bolder than you i can look the cruelties of the world in the face and declare openly how i will meet them i did marry mr houghton for his money and of course he knew it is it to be supposed that he or any human being could have thought that i married him for love i make his house comfortable for him as far as i can and am civil to his friends and look my best at his table i hope he is satisfied with his bargain but i cannot do more i cannot wear him in my heart nor george do i believe that you in your heart can ever wear mary lovelace but he did only that he thought that he had space there for two and that giving habitation to this second love he was adding at any rate to the excitements of his life tell me george said the woman laying her hand upon his breast is it she or i that have a home there i will not say that i do not love my wife he said no you are afraid the formalities of the world are so much more to you than to me sit down george oh george then she was on her knees at his feet hiding her face upon her hands while his arms were almost necessarily thrown over her and embracing her the lady was convulsed with sobs and he was thinking how it would be with him and her 
should the door be opened and some pair of eyes see them as they were. But her ears were sharp in spite of her sobs. There was the fall of a foot on the stairs, which she heard long before it reached him, and in a moment she was in her chair. He looked at her, and there was no trace of a tear. It's Houghton, she said, putting her finger up to her mouth with almost a comic gesture. There was a smile in her eyes, and a little mockery of fear in the trembling of her hand, and the motion of her lips. To him it seemed to be tragic enough. He had to assume to this gentleman whom he had been injuring a cordial, friendly manner, and thus to lie to him. He had to make pretenses, and at a moment's notice to feign himself something very different from what he was. Had the man come a little more quickly, had the husband caught him with the wife at his knees, nothing could have saved him and his own wife from utter misery. So he felt it to be, and the feeling almost overwhelmed him. His heart palpitated with emotion as the wronged husband's hand was on the door. She, the while, was as thoroughly composed as a stage heroine. But she had flattered him and pretended to love him, and it did not occur to him that he ought to be angry with her. Who would ever think of seeing you at this time of day, said Mrs. Houghton. Well, no, I'm going back to the club in a few minutes. I had to come up to Piccadilly to have my hair cut. Your hair cut? Honour bright, nothing upsets me so much as having my hair cut. I'm going to ring for a glass of sherry. By the by, Lord George, a good many of them are talking at the club about young Popenjoy. What are they saying? Lord George felt that he must open his mouth but did not wish to talk to this man, and especially did not wish to talk about his own affairs. Of course I know nothing about it, but surely the way Brotherton has come back is very odd. I used to be very fond of your brother, you know. There was nobody her father used to swear by so much as him. But, by George, I don't know what to make of it now. Nobody has seen the Marchioness. I have not seen her, said Lord George, but she is there all the same for that. Nobody doubts that she's there. She's there safe enough, and the boy is there too. We're all quite sure of that. But you know the Marquise of Brotherton is somebody. I hope so, said Lord George. And when he brings his wife home, people will expect. Will expect to know something about it, eh? All this was said with an intention of taking Lord George's part in a question which was already becoming one of interest to the public. It was hinted here and there that there was a screw loose about this young Popenjoy, who had just been brought from Italy, and that Lord George would have to look to it. Of course they who were connected with Brothershire were more prone to talk of it than others and Mr. Houghton, who had heard and said a good deal about it, thought that he was only being civil to Lord George in seeming to take part against the Marquis. But Lord George felt it to be a matter of offence that any outsider should venture to talk about his family. If people would only confine themselves to subjects with which they are acquainted, it would be very much better, he said. And then almost immediately 
took his leave. "'That's all regular nonsense, you know,' Mr. Houghton said, as soon as he was alone with his wife. "'Of course people are talking about it. Your father says that Brotherton must be mad.' That's no reason why you should come and tell Lord George what people say. You never have any tact. Of course I'm wrong. I always am, said the husband, swallowing his glass of sherry and then taking his departure. Lord George was now in a very uneasy state of mind. He intended to be cautious, had intended even to be virtuous and self-denying, and yet, in spite of his intentions, he had fallen into such a condition of things with Mr. Houghton's wife, that were the truth to be known, he would be open to most injurious proceedings. To him, the love affair with another man's wife was more embarrassing even than pleasant. Its charm did not suffice to lighten for him the burden of the wickedness. He had certain inklings of complaint in his own mind against his own wife, but he felt that his own hands should be perfectly clean before he could deal with those inklings magisterially and maritally. How would he look were she to turn upon him and ask him as to his own conduct with Adelaide Houghton? And then, into what a sea of trouble had he not already fallen in the matter of his brother's marriage? His first immediate duty was that of writing to his elder sister and he expressed himself to her in strong language. After telling her all that he had heard from the lawyer, he spoke of himself and of the dean. It will make me very unhappy, he wrote. Do you remember what Hamlet says? O cursed spite, that ever I was born to set it right. I feel like that altogether. I want to get nothing by it. No man ever less begrudged to his elder brother than I do all that belongs to him. Though he has himself treated me badly, I would support him in anything for the sake of the family. At this moment I most heartily wish that the child may be Lord Popenjoy. The matter will destroy all my happiness perhaps for the next ten years, perhaps forever, and I cannot but think that the dean has interfered in a most unjustifiable manner. He drives me on, so that I almost feel that I shall be forced to quarrel with him. With him it is manifestly personal ambition, and not duty. There was much more of it in the same strain, but at the same time an acknowledgment that he had now instructed the dean's lawyer to make the inquiry. Lady Sarah's answer was perhaps more judicious, and as it was shorter, it shall be given entire. Cross Hall, May 10th, 1870-odd. My dear George, of course it is a sad thing to us all that this terrible inquiry should be forced upon us, and more grievous to you than to us, as you must take the active part in it. But this is a manifest duty and duties are seldom altogether pleasant. All that you say as to yourself, which I know to be absolutely true, must at any rate make your conscience clear in the matter. It is not for your sake, nor for our sake, that this is to be done, but for the sake of the family at large, and to prevent the necessity of future lawsuits which would be ruinous to the property. 
if the child be legitimate let that in god's name be proclaimed so loud that no one shall hereafter be able to cast a doubt upon the fact to us it must be matter of deepest sorrow that our brother's child and the future head of our family should have been born under circumstances which at the best must still be disgraceful but although that is so it will be equally our duty to acknowledge his rights to the full if they be his rights though the son of the widow of a lunatic foreigner still if the law says that he is brotherton's heir it is for us to render the difficulties in his way as light as possible but that we may do so we must know what he is of course you find the dean to be pushing and perhaps a little vulgar no doubt with him the chief feeling is one of personal ambition but in his way he is wise and i do not know that in this matter he has done anything which had better have been left undone he believes that the child is not legitimate and so in my heart do i you must remember that my dear mother is altogether on brotherton's side the feeling that there should be an heir is so much to her and the certainty that the boy is at any rate her grandson that she cannot endure that a doubt should be expressed of course this does not tend to make our life pleasant down here poor dear mamma of course we do all we can to comfort her your affectionate sister sarah germain end of mr houghton wants a glass of sherry recording by noel badrian county offaly ireland